Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only. This week's episode is actually hosted by my partner, Tom Byrne, CEO of Clean Capital. It was a live interview at Nyserta's Green Innovation Summit. Uh, that took place November 6th in New York City. The topic of conversation is the clean energy tech, the New York Advantage. Tom had a conversation with John Santillari, who has been a professional investor for the last 25 years. He's focused on early stage investments in clean tech and fintech. He serves as in, an innovation advisor for NYSERDA. Uh, for those that don't know NYSERDA, it's the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. They help bring in, he helps bring an investment lens to the agency's clean tech grant program, which puts out about $80 million annually. John also has an extensive background in the space, and his, his career includes 15 years at Warburg Pincus, where he invested over $800 million in equity and helped raise a further billion in third-party financing. It'll be a fascinating conversation, a lot happening here in New York you can learn about through this dialogue. And as always, you can go to cleancapital.com to get more episodes. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks, everyone. It's great to be here with my friend John to have a, a nice conversation about clean energy investing broadly and, and certainly how it pertains to New York and NYSERDA and the work that John's doing uh, with NYSERDA. We did this last year. Uh, my co-founder, John, interviewed Alicia, and uh, we, simul- we, we put it on our podcast as well. As well. Uh, we have more than 3,000 listeners across the country for Clean Capital's experts-only podcast, uh, and it got really rave reviews. So, uh, we're very fortunate to be invited back to do it again, and it's great to be here with John to get some of his insights on the market, given his uh, wealth of experience and expertise in clean energy. So I want to start it off you know, discussing some of the ba- your background in investing and then start tying it to what, we're, what you're doing now at NYSERDA. Uh, you started your career at Warburg Pincus. What kind of stuff were you doing there when, when you were there? Yeah, so... Um... First of all, thanks, Steve, and thanks, uh, NYSERDA, for sponsoring this. Uh, uh, yeah, I started my career in investing uh, 30 years ago this year uh, at Warburg Pincus, where I was uh, fortunate enough to, um, to land a spot. Warburg, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, is a, uh, a diversified private equity firm, although th- that term has evolved over the last couple of decades. And um, my experience there was uh, in growth and venture-related uh, investing. And... Um, the other thing that was unique about the platform is they've got a diversified uh, group of industries and geographies all rolled into one fund. And so as a, uh, you know, as a, uh, a neophyte investor, I was able to see you know, multiple economies, multiple businesses, and each of their business cycles and lots of different business models. And um, you know, that experience really informs what I'm doing in clean tech today. So for example, Warburg was unique back then in doing a series of project based businesses, uh, some of which were clean energy related or at least sustainability related. So, for example, we did uh, early uh, water development businesses, early cogen. Uh, I was involved in, um, uh, along with, you know, more traditional real estate and other project-based businesses, which are not typical for the venture capital business. It's interesting because when the, I, I recall back in the early, the mid-2000s, there was tons of venture capital flooding into renewables and it you know it took a lot of 
setbacks from those investors to realize that venture capital in asset level investments was not not the right source of capital. Yeah, and that was a you know that was a model that you know for for many years Warburg uh, exploited. So in, in traditional energy, but like I said, in uh, we had a water developer that we founded on the on the back of the clean energy uh, the clean water act and their goal was really just to develop water projects for municipalities so what clean um, like uh, just make it compliant with the clean water act effectively right basically bring together the capital so that a municipality yeah. could upgrade its facilities deliver clean water and basically arrange for the financing of that asset arrange for the construction of that asset and uh, you know ultimately refinance that asset uh, you know, once uh, you had a series of those contracts in place. And what happened with that was it was sold to Vivendi or yeah. uh, whoever this, uh, General Dezo, uh, whoever it's this very early was the predecessor. Sust- very early stage sustainable investing. That's right. How did that end up, um, so you spent a number of years there and, and working in the hedge fund industry. When did you first start to dabble in impact investing, clean energy investing? So I like to think that um, Lionel Pincus, who is one of the founders of Warburg, uh, was in, in, a, in his own way an early impact investor. And um, I say that because uh, in, the, in the early days at Warburg, uh, Lionel would, um, would emphasize that the investments that we were making were intended to be additive. So uh, create growth in the economy, create jobs and livelihoods for folks, uh, as opposed to purely financial engineering. Mm-hmm. And that was really the roots of the firm. And a number of the investments that I worked on would be characterized today as sustainability. Uh, mm. I mentioned the water developer, but we also invested in industrial water purification. We had an early industrial recycling company. So there were a number of things that, uh, had we had a focus in that area, would be called environmental. I left Warburg uh, about 15 years ago and created an impact-oriented long-short hedge fund private equity in the public markets with some of my former colleagues from mm. Warburg. Oh, cool. And um, we were not a strict ESG fund. Uh, we really had an uh, ethical mandate. And what that meant was we thought about the ethics of the businesses we were investing in and, and uh, figured that if a company was willing to shortchange its employees or the environment, they might get around to doing that to their shareholders. And so tried to avoid that. And the did way you that... Look, did you look at like the underlying investments, you know, whether it was coal or tobacco or, or firearms, the traditional things in ESG now, was that, were those red flags for you? So, you know, we avoided the obvious bad stuff, but the challenge, and for those of you who are experienced in, uh, in ESG reporting and metrics, that business has evolved a lot over the years. Yeah. And um, uh, even in the last five or 10 years, it's still a challenge, however, to get good uh, quantitative metrics on, or, you know, ESG uh, characteristics for small and mid-cap companies. So we had to sort of do it the old-fashioned way and just talk to management and try Mm. to make an assessment. But for me, that manifested itself uh, as investments in clean tech are that ethical mandate. And um, for most of that fund's life, which was really 2008 for uh, six or seven years, it was better to be short than long Mm. for the most part in the clean (laughs) energy world. Sadly, uh, we did make investments in things like you know, Sun Power when Total invested, that was sure. uh, you know a, a, turned out to be a fantastic opportunity. Did you invest in that one at the point that Total came in, or? Well, if you remember back then, um, Total made an investment, uh, small, I forget the percentage, but um, 
a small equity investment, but it committed a massive amount of debt support to, yeah. uh, to SunPower. And the wheels were coming off the solar market at that point. That's when First Solar and SunPower's stocks went from, uh, I remember First Solar at 400 or something crazy. and All of them down 80%. Yeah. Uh, and we had the flexibility to be able to invest in a bond tranche that was small, that was, you know, none of the other uh, big players could invest in. And, um, you know, my assessment was that uh, Total had committed a few billion dollars of credit support and a few tens of millions to equity support. Yeah. And that's what I think folks missed was that uh, it was unlikely that they were going to let this company go yeah. uh, just because the stock price had gone down and they ended up doing fine. Doing fine and obviously uh, increasing their investment significantly. Yeah. and and so that so at that when in your hedge fund you're you're starting to do um, some things related to ESG and you know how does that fast forward into sort of right clean nice energy? Yeah. and and and, all, uh, and focus and on clean been energy in the last few years yeah. Yeah, well, like I said, it was better to be short than long in many cases. So we started to invest in, in uh, more opportunistic private market uh, areas. Uh, so, for example, solar recs, yep. uh, some solar financing. And uh, that led me to, uh, to conclude that it was really, if I was going to be effective in uh, having an impact, it really made sense to return to the private markets from the public markets. There really wasn't any opportunity out right. there uh, in the public markets. And... Um, Around the same time, um, I was introduced to, uh, to John Rhodes, who was Alicia Barton's predecessor at NYSERDA. And um, you know, what's uh, fascinating about NYSERDA, for the folks who are listening to the podcast, many of you know this, but started in the 70s as, uh, you know, in response to the, to the oil crisis back then, really, as the name implies, as a research and development uh, outfit. And the mission has evolved substantially. Uh, a lot of people don't really have a sense of what NYSERDA is, but you know, today it spends $800 million a year supporting clean energy initiatives uh, in New York State. And the group that is uh, sponsoring this event today and that I've worked closely with, the innovation group, really, you know, what used to be called the R&D group, is about a tenth of that budget, but still $80 million a year invested yeah. in stuff that looks very much like early stage clean tech. And so, you know, we've said this at these kinds of events before, but, you know, that the innovation group at 80 million bucks a year is the, the sort of biggest clean tech venture capital firm that you've never heard of, yeah. uh, is the way I like to think about it. And um, I sort of made a transition from a research-focused effort to a commercialization-focused effort in their innovation effort uh, sure. over the last five to seven years. And what I was pleased to find when I got to NYSERDA is there's an incredibly deep bench of technical talent and, uh, you know, NYSERDA is an is, is a authority, not an agency. So this is a, a different, different kind of an animal. And um, the people there are extremely uh, well-educated and, and very deep in the, you know, on the technical sides of, uh, of the business. And they were evolving that practice to assess and figure out the best uh, investments that would have commercial outcomes. And, and why is that so important? Well, if you look at the, the goals of NYSERDA, uh, particularly in the innovation side, you know, they need to uh, help fulfill the aggressive policy agenda that uh, you know, has just been enacted with, with you know, most recently with the, uh, the uh, Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, you know, net zero by 2050. Yeah. And it is, um, it is not going to happen if 
if we sponsor a lot of research papers, right? Sure. Uh, what needs to happen is solutions need to be deployed at scale. And uh, NYSERDA spends a lot of money deploying established solutions, but um, I think we all know that's not going to be enough, right? We don't yet have all the, the technology that is needed. And so innovation plays a critical role in you know, funding those technologies that can get to market and can get commercialized. And I think the challenge is to figure out how you apply that money in the best way so that it does indeed you know, result in impact. It's interesting. Do you think the, that there's a lack of capital in the breakthrough technologies, whether it's um, public money or private money, or are we suffering from a lack of capital in known technologies? Do we need more money coming into solar and wind as opposed to the breakthrough technology that we, we don't even know what, what it is yet? Well, there's a lot of work out there, right? There's certainly, you know, Morgan Stanley just published a paper that said, you know, we need, what, $50 trillion of, uh, of investment globally to... Uh, I, I've seen many estimates, and they're all in the trillions. Right. So they, right. it's $2 trillion a year is what will be a clean capital, always say. Some people say $50, million, $50 trillion over the next 30 years. Right. So Either in, way, it's a large in the number. same, it's a large number. You know, what's, what's not in those numbers necessarily is what it's going to cost us if we don't do it. Yeah. Uh, and there's certainly a lot of estimates of that, although up until recently, I think those were uh, you know, hard for people to get their arms around. Today, if your fire insurance policy in California went up from $600 a month to you know, $2,000 a month, you, know, you might be more willing to pay an extra 20 bucks for renewable energy as an alternative to you know, paying or if thousands of dollars yeah, per year. Or if you're a shareholder of uh, any of the utilities in California these days as well, you start to notice some of the climate impacts a little bit more acutely. Yeah, but to get back to your question, I think there are, um, there are gaps at a number of levels. Certainly, uh, my, some of my colleagues at uh, Clean Energy Ventures have done a, a recent paper uh, looking at the mismatch in early stage funding, and you know, that's a frequent uh, conversation topic at these kinds of events. So that is still there. I, I also think What's that... What's the mismatch? Um, Can you clarify that a little bit? So if you look at the amount of capital that is uh, uh, coming into the market or is in the market for various phases, yeah. you, you play in, a, in an area where it's uh, commercially deployed and you know, it's got a warranty on the, uh, on the piece of equipment that is uh, generating right. you know, whatever the revenue is. There's still a need there, and you know, folks like the Green Bank, uh, you know, are um, are helping fill that gap. But on the early end, there's still a mismatch in terms of the amount of funding that's going towards you know that early commercialization effort. And um, you know, we I don't think we have all the answers today. If you look at you know the the projections that are out there, there are still breakthroughs that are required, particularly around say carbon capture. And, you know, that's, that's an area where um, even over the last couple of years, it's gone from, I think, uh, much more theoretical to, uh, to things that are, you know, on the cusp of being commercial businesses. And there's very few investors that are putting money into I mean, breakthrough ventures, which is that large, I believe, $2 billion group is doing a whole bunch of interesting things in storage and nuclear. But there's not a ton of money going into those breakthrough opportunities. So there, there are a handful of folks, uh, many of whom are here in the room, right, that are uh, putting money into this sector. Um, yeah, certainly where NYSERDA plays is in that area. And, you know, what I've learned, I've been with NYSERDA now for uh, two years as a consultant uh, working with their innovation group. And um, in many ways, it mirrors the efforts that uh, a venture capital 
firm goes through in terms of figuring out where to invest its money. They've really got to look at a landscape, identify gaps, figure out which gaps you know, can, be, uh, can be addressed with the application of money, then go out there and find deals right, or attract mm-hmm. uh, deals in their case, uh, you know, uh, attract companies to apply for grants, select those grants, diligence those grants, and then manage them. And that lines up pretty uh, closely with the efforts that a venture uh, player goes through uh, in this area. And, you know, as I said, NYSERDA at $80 million a year in innovation alone uh, is supporting, you know, that early stage effort. And I won't go into all the details. I mean, there's a map over here to my right. Um, and folks on the podcast can find this information uh, at NYSERDA. But that innovation uh, budget that $80 million a year is spent both in direct support in terms of grants uh, for companies uh, and um, indirect support for events like this and through the network of incubators and accelerators and uh, the EIR program as well to support companies. I mean, so as an example, uh, I was in a meeting recently, and uh, I think uh, Ray is here, but with a uh, really innovative company in the uh, in the bioremediation business, mm-hmm. and we were sitting around the table with a uh, seasoned uh, uh, industry expert from Colombia and his you know right hand person who was uh, helping on the business side, but also at the table you know as a uh, very experienced chemical industry executive who knows this market 40 years, our friend Heidi from CBIP, who uh, you know, is skilled at helping companies do eat their broccoli, so to speak, right? Do all that work that needs to be done in order to create a viable business, and myself. And you know, as I thought about it, this is exactly what I would have done at Warburg mm-hmm. if I were in the same boat. I would have brought these kinds of resources to yeah. bear. And um, you, know, you couldn't pay for those resources, right? I mean, I think the you know, I'm doing it, and the other people around the table are doing it because of a concern about climate change, and NYSERDA is the one making that happen. Yeah. So that's the kind of support that they're uh, giving to companies, and it's really a it's really a venture creation kind of process. Is that is NYSERDA or in other states the equivalent? Is that a critical piece to unlocking some of the more some of the innovation? Would private investment not otherwise be there? So my my view on um on you know clean energy investing and, and the need for capital is that the challenges, while they're significant, I, I think are, you know, I think the issues are as much cyclical as they are secular. There are plenty of industries that have very difficult sales cycles, long sales cycles, and very challenging customers, yeah. uh, and, you know, very hard technology problems and scale up. And, you know, what, what, what I've seen over my career is we've seen cycles in every single growth industry that there is. And going back to Warburg Pincus, the benefit of growing up there was, you know, although I wasn't investing in biotech, I saw the cycle and, you know, got to see when uh, all my partners in biotech basically, you know, at the peak when everybody was investing, they were going home early. And hopefully after the crash, they were headline themselves up to, to make those investments. And the same thing, you know, really has gone on in clean tech, right? Well, you know, trying to find uh, investments in the public markets, you're really making venture investments in, you know, Kior or, you know, any of these companies that were really a science experiment that have, yeah. have gotten funded in the public markets. So, uh, you know, I, I think that sort of plays a critical role. You know, for the folks on the podcast, you know, the, 
The aggregate budget, as I said, $800 million a year, uh, the balance of the budget beyond innovation supports all sorts of deployment of existing assets in New York State. Um, Green Bank is part of that. So uh, the Green Bank has financed uh, early stage companies who are aggregating uh, assets. I've got an efficiency finance company, for example, that we chatted about, which is, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a specialty finance originator. And they just happen to be originating contracts that are backed by uh, the savings that are generated through efficiency. And the Green Bank was, you know, willing to underwrite that. I hope we grow out of the Green Bank very soon and can uh, underwrite that with, you know, just a more traditional source of financing and ultimately securitize those contracts. That tracks the history of clean energy and the public partnership aspect of growing clean energy. I I think back to 08 as we came out of the recession. From that, Obama passed the American Recovery Act with cash grant, the 1603 cash grant, the Department of Energy loan guarantees, a whole bunch of other incentives. And that's really what sprung solar and wind into where it is now. That gave it the wind at its back, pardon the pun, to get it to a, a critical mass. So there was this I think there's this, there is this public need to really get the, net, the commercialization that you're, you're discussing to get that going, to get, to get momentum behind it for sure. Yeah, and build, you know, build enough scale so that it becomes something that the, you know, that the traditional finance markets you know, can get their arms around, right? At, at some level, you know, my uh, efficiency company just has a series of contracts from consumers that have FICO scores. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter whether that contract is a, auto loan or a solar loan or a credit card loan or an efficiency loan. It's really just a consumer loan. And the sooner that becomes mainstream, the better we all off will be, I think. Do you think that the, any hesitation that the capital markets has to it is that it's just, it's not, they're so familiar with auto loans and it's now familiarizing themselves (laughs) with something that just looks or feels a little different? Well, I, you know, I I don't know what what your experience has been here. My experience is that, uh, you know, Capital markets, uh, they don't really care. It's, if the money is green, so to speak, it, it doesn't matter. So we've seen all sorts of innovations and plenty of disasters in, uh, in, you know, in financial products, right? Everything from subprime mortgages. You know, subprime auto loans were a challenge, but they didn't bring down the financial system. But they are still there, right? So there are plenty of subprime, morg- uh, subprime sorry, car loans that uh, are... Uh, you know, are issued, that's become a mainstream asset class, if yeah. you will. But if you go back 15 years, it was a unique asset class that people didn't understand, and therefore it was much more expensive to finance it, and you couldn't finance it at scale, you know, much like solar, right? You've, you've yeah. been through the, the challenges there, and, you know, ultimately... It appears risky, you know, for the early investors 10 years ago, and then gradually people are wondering, wondering how this has all of a sudden become a relatively yo- low-yield investment now. Um, and you have private equity investors, we talked about this, who no, no longer really have a place in, in solar or not, not the place that they think they did because it's no longer a 12% returning asset class. It's actually a, it's looking more like, like the debt or, or, or low, lower yielding investments that are out there, infrastructure assets. Well, in a way it should be, right? Because yeah. it's very predictable and you know, ultimately, that should drive a low cost of capital. It's relatively which, predictable. Which need, right. Mm-hmm. And there's where, where innovations can come in. So another company that, uh, you know, helped by NYSERDA, but um, that we've got investment in is, uh, you know, looking at uh, 
insurance solutions yeah. to min, you know mitigate that variability that you're talking about. Yeah, and that's energetic. We're good friends. Am I correct? Yeah, and those, that's a great. That's another just. Uh, they're a great company. We've spoken to a bunch, and again, p- creating a product that the capital markets will find attractive, which is how do you insure the production of, of these assets, the revenue of these assets at the end, end of the day. That's such a, a novel but important maturation of of, uh, of the industry to create Indeed. something for, for the capital markets. So you're going back to your clean energy investing through the lens of NYSERD, what kind of stuff are we seeing out there that's interesting, that is more forward-thinking than, than it's, it's funny to say, the boring solar and wind stuff that, uh, that we've been doing for the last decade? Right. No, I'm, it's, uh, it's extraordinary to, to look back at the evolution of the cost curve in those markets. So clearly, you know, uh, in terms of uh, climate impact, you know, offshore wind is clearly a, a big area. Less uh, a place for early stage investors to play, but certainly uh, in terms of um, NYSERDA's efforts, uh, a big deal. One of the benefits that I've uh, been able to to uh, have from my perch at NYSERDA is really to see a broad range of very early stage uh, uh, ideas that are are getting to market. And um, you know, I would say that the uh, there is a uh, a whole sector of what I'll call incremental types of improvements. So components that will be more efficient, that will enable, whether it's storage or electrolysis or carbon capture. You know, so um, there's, a, there's a wealth of ideas coming out of the universities. Clearly, storage is uh, a problem that must be solved in yeah. order for this system to work. And you know, all sorts of efforts going on there. I'm actively engaged with a NYSERDA-supported company that's developing a alternative to lithium in uh, sort of short and medium-term uh, storage, and is making you know great progress in advancing a roadmap there. And what's the it, technology? Can you disclose it? Or sure. So this is a um, this is a uh, company working on zinc, manganese dioxide. It's basically the same technology that is in and has been for years in an alkaline battery that you know today powers yeah. your remote or smoke yeah. detector perhaps, um, but uh, the trick is making that recyclable and then being able to manufacture it at scale. And uh, you know, even in the last couple of years, I think uh, there was a perception that it was game over with, uh, with lithium, but you know, with, uh, as that market has expanded, some of the problems have you know, uh, uh, surfaced in terms of both cost and safety, uh, and, and they both, uh, you know, they're both related, right? in order to make it safe, uh, adds a layer of cost that uh, is a challenge. So there's a lot of vectors to try to, uh, to solve that problem, but uh, it's going to take some time to, uh, to get them implemented, and it's not clear they fit into the existing manufacturing pathway, which then creates pathways for other solutions. So clearly storage, uh, carbon capture, I think, is an you know, er- early, uh, uh, early um, in its development. But, Are you thinking uh, carbon capture, I mean, Sticking some sort of device on a coal plant and making it—it's a little bit all clean. of the above, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be very hard to uh, to pull the carbon out of the air, but that you know that may happen. Uh, I think I have heard some crazy stories or, or business models where they're actually trying to do send something up into the atmosphere and literally draw <clears throat> down 
carbon? Well, there's, there's Are you all, investing in all, that yet? All sorts of, uh, <laughs> all sorts of efforts. No, no. I, I think <laughs> the things that interest me in terms of investing, and we haven't talked much about clean energy ventures, and I'll spend a few minutes on that if I can. Yeah. But, uh, but we're, you know, we're interested in solutions that it can have a, a big uh, impact you know, on, uh, on CO2 reduction, you know, much like very aligned with NYSERDA's goals. And um, so for that, you really need you know, science that's advanced to the point where customers can validate it, uh, or at least are starting to validate mm-hmm. it. And um, you know, so uh, storage is clearly an area of interest. I think software to manage the complexity of a grid that is distributed is, is a huge area of opportunity. Great, um, yeah. That's, that's, there's a, and there's a lot of companies out there who are now focusing on the, the, everything from front of the meter to behind the meter grid management through software. And that's a big focus at NYSERDA as well. So, you know, NYSERDA, as I said, they go through a process where they're looking at, you know, where are the gaps. And so there are folks here today from, uh, you know, buildings and from uh, storage efforts. And, you know, cutting across all that is their, you know, tech-to-market uh, group, which is sponsoring this, this event here. And so that's really modeled after ARPA-E. And the mm-hmm. focus of that group is to ensure that commercialization is a priority. And so tell us a little bit about your investing in Clean Energy Venture Group. Yeah, so Clean Energy Ventures is a, uh, is a somewhat unique uh, animal, if you will. Um, it combines both a committed capital fund uh, along with a, uh, an angel group and uh, has the distinction of uh, 30 experienced operators primarily and also some financiers like myself. Uh, you know, a decade-plus track record of success in clean energy, which is which is somewhat unique, and and that was uh, the catalyst to be able to raise a uh, hundred million dollar committed capital fund for Series A and seed stage investments in uh, in clean energy. And I got to them actually was initiated in in a way by NYSERDA through Pat Sappingsley uh, at the Urban Future Labs, uh, who introduced. Uh, me and a few of my colleagues, today colleagues, but uh, folks that I met to create a New York office for the Clean Energy Venture Group. And so I met Dave Miller and Dan Goldman back in, the, uh, in 2016, 2017, and um, they were at that time uh, working to raise their fund. I launched the New York office with uh, Jean-Noël Parier, who's here today, and Tom Blum, and um, you know, today we've got seven or eight members in New York going to 10 or 12 and 25 members in Boston. And um, we invest as one group, although we've got, like I said, two sides. We've got, we've got an experienced angel group and, um, and a committed capital fund that gives us the firepower to you know, sort of stay the course. Uh, that was something I didn't have to worry about back in the Warburg days, but it's, uh, it's very... Uh, it's a critical challenge, in, in, uh, particularly in clean energy today, having the capital to get to at least break even. Which is why it's nice that NYSERDA is, is a pocket of cash um, to put into startups. So, if, so just as we wrap it up, if you had to cast a wand at, what, at the different offerings that a, a, that a NYSERDA can provide, where do you think's the, what do you think is the important uh, types of capital that are needed in the marketplace, and what do you think for our podcast listeners in particular? What opportunities do they have from NYSERDA? So, that's a tough question to answer because NYSERDA supports such a broad range of activities. And in fact, I often get questions from folks like, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, help me out. Help me mm-hmm. figure it out. And I think that's an opportunity and a challenge for for NYSERDA. Like I said, there is 
you know, 700 or so million dollars a year spent deploying clean energy technologies in New York State. That's established uh, products, but which need to get out there in the market. On the innovation side, if you're innovating, you ought to be in New York State because New York State has, you know, arguably uh, the most aggressive climate agenda of all the states uh, and, you know, policy uh, is perhaps world leading. So if you want to be in storage, you ought to be in New York State. If you if you have grid solutions, you need to be in New York State. So, you know, I, I've actually um, been encouraged that uh, both through my CEVG uh, seat as well as my seat here at NYSERDA, the amount of inbound traffic from folks in other jurisdictions and other states uh, has really exploded over the last six or so months. Yeah, um, I And I think that. it's partly uh, due to the policy initiatives and partly just people uh, starting to understand the amount of support that NYSERDA provides. Agree. And, and over the last few years, I mean, I just think of like I said to you earlier, where New York's come over just the last five years from being behind the curve on renewables and state support to now being a leader. It's, it's really come a long way. John, thank you very much for your time. It's been uh, a pleasure. Thanks, John. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and learned a lot about what's happening here in New York. The New York State Energy and Research and Development Authority is doing some really cutting-edge work to help drive New York's clean economy. And we've had other members of the team on here at Experts Only and hope to have some more on in the future. Again, you can learn more about some of our episodes at cleancapital.com. As always, we're looking for good folks to interview, so please feel free to send them my way. And as always, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.